Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for downloading. Uh, another chat this week with a good friend of the show, Yestin George. Uh, Yestin joined me on a very hot Sunday night, and uh, yeah, I, I don't deal with the deal with the heat particularly well at the best of times. But that said, it was always a pleasure to catch up with him. So uh, yeah, very much enjoyed chatting to Yestin tonight, and uh, yeah, we got through loads of stuff. We had a look at the upcoming Pro 14 fixtures, and particularly generally the overall shape of the regions. Uh, we also managed to talk about uh, the retirement of Nick Williams, big hole that that, that will leave in regional rugby and the, the huge impact that he's had. And uh, yeah, we also covered a bit of the Lions from a coaching perspective, the Gareth Anscombe injury, loads of stuff. So there'll be, uh, there'll be plenty of stuff in there for you to get your teeth into. And also uh, me defending the, uh, the Jamie Roberts signing at the Dragons, hopefully, with a bit of balance rather than uh, than just being a one-eyed Dragons fan. But you'd be the judge of that by uh, by going and having a listen. Uh, yeah, a few things. Uh, if you're able to, to give us a, a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, if you can write us a review, if you enjoy this podcast, that would be fantastic. Or Apple Podcasts, as it's now called. And finally, as always, a big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. You can now get instant coffee from So Coffee Trades. So do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Once again, I'm delighted to say that good friend of the show, Yestin George, joins us. How are we doing, Yestin? I'm doing very well, thanks, Jared. You made me feel uh, very bad off air there when uh, I said I'm no good in this heat and I've done nothing all day. And you said you've been, uh, you've cycled from from Sussex to Winchester and back over the course of the last few days. I know. I mean, I do feel like somebody else. I've inherited somebody else's legs now four days after I've done it. 
Uh, no, after four days of cycling, they, they're not legs that I recognize. It's like I've borrowed somebody's actual functioning normal legs. Um, but I, the will is still as weak as ever. I just like that to go down in record. So whenever I come to look at a hill, my heart sinks and I go, oh, I'll never make it. And then apparently the, the legs don't necessarily function along the same lines as my pathetically weak will. So, wow. yeah, no, it's been quite good fun. It can't be that way. Well, you certainly made me feel bad when, you know, I've spent the afternoon uh, either outside trying to, to stay outside for a while and then coming inside, shutting the curtains and watching old episodes of The Chase, uh, which, uh, <laughs> you know, entertain, entertain my daughter for, for brief moments of time. Um, but I have, um, I have picked up um, what you could only describe as a you've been living in, too, you've been living in Surrey too long injury. And uh, so Friday night, uh, I managed to slice the top of my finger, uh, making uh, making an orange peel slice to go in some gin. Oh, that's like, a that, killer. I, that is a Surrey injury, though, isn't it? And I I did the avocado stone last year, so like I think I, I think uh, if I choke on some quinoa, we've got the triple crown going on there. You know, yeah, like, it's one of those. Good. Yeah, not not good. Uh, but we do have some rugby to talk about, which is just as well. And uh, we're getting ever closer to the season returning. So maybe we'll start by talking about, uh, we'll start by talking about the, the Pro 14. And we're only two weeks away from that coming back. How, <laughs> I, I know we, we've, covered this, uh, we've covered this a few times, but how do you, how you feel looking forward to this? Are you actually kind of excited about the, re- the return of, um, of the Welsh club sides? I still feel slightly kind of bemused by it all really um i think uh obviously there's something uh, there is um all of the all of the teams are in a state of relative flex um it's really exciting to think about how the dragons will get on and you'd hope that they'd hit the ground running um but you know with the ospreys you just don't know what's going to happen you just cross your fingers. Uh, Scarlets have got a, a, a reconstruction job of sorts, but obviously they've had um, some good news this week with loads of, um, you know, players signing up, commitments, send, sense of kind of certainly sending out a message of, we, you know, a mile heat, you know, we are so, solid, we are, you know, we are solid and we're moving forward together. I think that's, that was quite a, Seemed, you know, from, purely from a, a PR manager. It's a nice PR view. touch, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. seventeen signings on one day is a, a yeah. is a good one because I, it is it is clever actually because yeah. you you know if you look at the the list of players on there, uh, you'd say what well, Halfpenny, Gareth Davis, and Patchell, and probably Samson Lee are the, are the biggest names within there, and then you've got some squad players and some young players. But by announcing seventeen, it uh, it does. You know, it does get a bit more press coverage, and you're right; it sends out that message that, you know, we're uh, we're a solid unit of, and, and we've got this kind of uh, this, this continuity of players, which is generally a positive thing. Yeah, and it's quite it's quite kind of wily as well because I think that you know, doom laden naysayers like myself were kind of thinking, you know, it, it didn't actually go swimmingly well for them last year, or you know, in the season that hasn't quite finished um and so i i i was thinking question marks were 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 were, um were you know were were there 
about whether they, whether they were going to progress or whether they were going to um, whether they were going to go backwards. Um, and then you've got Cardiff, obviously. Uh, well, they've got you know uh, some recruits, obviously big big um, retirement announcement this week, but plenty of hopefully plenty of um, positive things to look forward to, and hopefully some players coming back to fitness as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Nick Williams in uh, in a second. But what I was saying to Dan last week, actually, I, I do think that we're in a position now where, at least on paper, these squads, I think, across the board, look a lot stronger than they have done. You know, because in the past, you know, you've had you've had very strong Ospreys squads and very weak, you know, very weak Dragons ones at the same time, and strong Scarlet squads and weak Cardiff ones, and you know, strong Cardiff. You, you get the picture, uh, but. Actually, I think you can genuinely look at all four all four squads and say that they are in much more positive places, and that recruitment looks pretty encouraging on paper. You know, because I remember I remember you know seeing the the summers of um, Cardiff signing you know some really wily recruits and my hero Matthew Morgan and uh, and you know likewise and at the same time down at the Dragons we were again just picking up a few ex Cardiff players and that was it. And you just thought, God, there's not even anything to anything to really get cheery about here. You know, there's nothing to really look at and say this season's going to be different. Whereas I think the Ospreys and Dragons have recruited well. Uh, Scarlets, like you say, have kept hold of a lot of um, a lot of players and then a couple of savvy signings. And then um, Cardiff have probably been the quietest in terms of recruitment, but then they've also, I think, got um, a lot of a lot of squad players coming back from injury and a lot of squad young players in key positions who you would hope would be able to to step up and amongst all of that i think the the key thing is is coaching appointments and that's the bit where um where i think i think the ospreys have got something to be really positive about they're uh, you know they've they've gone for experience now in terms of coaching and the the experiments uh, the past haven't haven't worked out it certainly didn't work out in alan clark's case uh, whereas I think you know Booth and having Brock James alongside him that I think is is something that you're going to expect a lot more structure and having Ruddock above I think all of that is, is potentially something to be quite infused by now you're often the as you say the 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 doom when it, when it particularly when it comes to the Ospreys but uh, how do you feel kind of going into this uh, this this set of games and then a new season around the corner after that well, again, it, uh, just to talk purely in terms of marketing and in terms of the way that they presented it, you know, there's the, there was a, they released a story, you know, the, the kind of um, Booth outlines New Osprey's vision, yeah. which actually didn't outline very much at all, uh, apart from the fact that it was, you know, the past is done and we're going to move into the future. So I suppose in a way it's better than saying we're going to smash everybody and we're going to be brilliant um, and then falling straight to the first hurdle i it's my doom laden nurse which is not obviously a phrase uh is is based on on really genuinely having just that you have to just think about it's it's not about it's about the performances and it's about it's not about creating a an australia to mark two or any or any nonsense like that um it's about just it's there's no hiding place uh after i thought you know such 
such a shocking season, really. Um, I mean, it's it, not, it was an there's no hiding place. An unimaginably bad season. If you were to say, you know, even if you even go back five years and say the Ospreys would have a season like this, you know, so five years ago, you're looking at the post-Galactico era, uh, but you had stability there. You know, when we first started doing this podcast, me and Dan used to say, you know, at, at that point in time that the Ospreys had kind of moved um, under Tandy to at least a degree of stability. Now I know, you know, he, he wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but they weren't get they weren't getting pumped week in, week out as as the Ospreys were last season. It was just so, so unexpected given the fact that they'd been the the you know, probably the most consistent side throughout the history of regional rugby. And you can't have the patience, you know, again it's it sounds like I sound like a Man United fan or something. You know that kind of uh, or even you know, name the club really. Tottenham is the same. Um, it, it is you can't have a a dragons a, a period of slow, uh, respectable kind of progress. It just can't happen. I don't think it can happen. There's too much jeopardy. There's too much at stake. Uh, they they need to excite people after. And I, you, I know that you've you've gallantly supported really the tandy era um to a you know um to be and, it, and i think on reflection you're quite right to do so because what came afterwards was was considerably worse but at the same time if you want people to go and watch that yeah. team play if you want to have it's not about winning tournaments but it is about playing to the playing to your potential as a team and it, it just it, there was never any indication that that was happening, albeit with some terribly unfortunate injuries uh, along the way. It just felt like there was it rudderless and clueless, and and obviously yeah. that's that. I, I I really think that it's got to, they've got to hit the ground running properly. You know, that's just what that that's what what has to happen really. I never felt that lack of direction was was Tandy's fault necessarily. I always no. thought he looked like. A solid, good coach who had been uh, put in a difficult position because, I, you know, there was you'd gone from the years of having director of rugby and head coach to him kind of just being the the one man solely accountable for it. And when you consider that, so again, when he was in charge, the years before you would have had so much money coming in, and yes, the expectation was higher, but you had a hell of a you know you'd had a hell of a lot more to work with under the the Lynn Jones and Sean Holly eras. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that it, it was always going to be a tough ask. And he, he did a, yeah, gallant is probably the word. He did a gallant job during that time. But I, I think expectations, if not externally from the Ospreys, will be a hell of a lot higher. Now they've, now they've recruited these, um, these experienced coaches and added a few more experienced players to the lineup too. So I think I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it'll be unrealistic expectations, but at the same time they have to be they have to be ambitious expectations. You know, it's not a oh well, you know, we might we might scrape two wins away and, and win half of our home games. That's mm. that, that's not good enough, you know. Well, it's gotta be better than that. The Ospreys generally didn't lose games. You know, it was only recently that they lost their Liberty home European record, wasn't it? We're only talking a season or so. Yeah. Um, and you just think that it, it's become such a sharp decline that we've expected the Ospreys to get beaten every week. That yeah, you're right. That has to go. I don't know whether they're going to be challenging for titles straight away. But no, they're not. 
No, I, I don't think so. But in a way, it kind of helps having the end of one season uh, to to come back and, and try a few things. And, um, and I actually think that having the Dragons first up, it's quite a good thing for them because everyone is talking up the Dragons because their recruits are so much more high profile, which again, we'll come on to. But, you know, the Robertses and the Tompkins and these, you know, should Rollins end up down there? These kind of players have come in with a much bigger profile, arguably, than than the Ospreys signings have. And uh, I think, in a way, that would probably suit the Ospreys because expectations won't necessarily be high. But I think they'll be targeting this game thinking, God, there's a chance to there's a chance to lay down a bit of a marker. And like you say, get people thinking, do you know what? I, I, you know, when, when we're able to go back, I want to go and I want to go and watch this side again. What did you think when you sort of read again read stuff about Anscombe? Uh, mm. what, what was your gut feeling? Uh, my gut feeling is that's uh, that's really quite worrying because that injury was close to a year ago that that happened, and it, it looked bad at the time. And it, it was one of those jaw dropping moments where you thought, is he, you know, is he trying to run off a, an ACL injury here? And um, it just, it looked bad and the diagnosis was bad straight away. But to be kind of a year down the line and there's no real sign of a return, that's definitely a worry. And particularly right now where we've had, you know, lockdown and things like that, which you think, well, actually that's going to, that's going to aid recovery because he's not going to be, he's not going to be missing any games. Um, I think that it's definitely a concern. And obviously the signing of Milo is a, a, is there to fill that gap. It's let's get some experience in because presumably I think, you know, they've looked at, they've looked at the outside halves who are there and thought they're not going to be able to, and certainly based on last season, they're not going to be able to to do a job for us. So let's have, you know, a steady hand to come in and, and steer the ship during that time. And yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing Anscombe anytime soon. You'd be, you'd be very wary about rushing him back, particularly, yeah. uh, particularly, with these games now that don't, you know, there's nothing riding on them for the Ospreys. It does suggest as well that they that they might be a ten light, a ten or two light still. Then you know, if if Anscombe's not coming back for for a long time. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, if you look at that squad, Luke Price really struggled and uh, you know couldn't couldn't make that shirt his own. Um, I, you, it's weird, but I, I still think that. I think Toby Booth would be looking at his squad on paper now and thinking, I'd love to have Sam Davis in this side. Yeah, totally. You know, particularly this version of Sam Davis, who's, who's recovered his confidence. And, you know, I, I don't, I, and then I think outside of that, you've got, you've got what you've got, Kai Evans, who I, I'm not sure whether he's a 10 or a 15 and is still cutting his teeth as a, as a pro player. Too much pressure. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think I think there probably is, and, and it's about getting getting that that experience and that game time right now. And then I don't know. I I think it seems to be that they look at Prothero as a as a fifteen or a winger rather than a rather than a ten. So mm. uh, you know, I, again, I, I think you're right. It, it looks as though they're they're light, but they'd be they would love Anscombe to be back and fully fit for the. For the new season, and then have that option. You know, it, it doesn't look it doesn't look as thin if Anscombe is there and fully fit and has put the injury woes behind him. But I don't know. It, it's certainly not it's certainly not good news in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. It's uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. Sunday, the twenty third of August. Uh, that that game is the Ospreys against the Dragons, and the Dragons uh, will line up as we said with this uh, with this kind of strengthened squad, which we've we've spoken about. A few times, and one of uh, the 
the worst kept secrets was that was unveiled this week with Jamie Roberts officially becoming a a Dragons player, and it's not been without uh, without kind of controversy, I guess. And there's been you know some some discontent from the other regions saying that there was some kind of agreement in place that that they weren't recruiting during this time, um, which all seems a little bit odd because either there is this agreement in place, if so, they've got legitimate cause to be tough grievance, but otherwise, you know, you'd expect them to be out there recruiting themselves, particularly Cardiff, I think. And the other the other reason is that at a time when you've got players taking, you know, taking wage cuts or they're trying to get that through, you've got a side that is owned by the Welsh Rugby Union recruiting a 33-year-old player who won't be on a central contract. Um, but for me, I don't know, I, I look at it and think, well, actually, the you know the wage structure hasn't changed the way that money is distributed hasn't changed despite the fact that the dragons are owned by the the union and the other thing is you know you've got players like moriarty who was previously paid by the dragons will now be on one of those central contracts that means that 80 percent of his wage which from the figures i've heard is very very considerable uh you know that's that's been freed up for them to to put into to other recruits and I don't know what I don't know what the deal is with with Nick Tompkins, but I can't imagine the Dragons are paying his full wage for for a season, um, particularly when there's no um, there's no salary cap in the in the English Championship. So realistically, you know, it could just be a good way of him getting uh, getting to to play for Wales during these years, uh, and and Saracens keep him on the on the books. So I, I don't know. I in a way I'm kind of encouraged because. There's almost almost in the past four years you've had a bit of sympathy towards the dragons from other regional supporters, and now we kind of seem to be a little bit back into the into the parochial age, which gives me a little bit of faith that I don't know maybe we're going to see something a bit better on the pitch. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, I, when you think I, I I'm slightly bemused at why people are so moody about it. Um, I, I can understand. I understand the principle of the argument. But I also understand. I can see the practicality of: Do you want somebody to make a contribution who's who's uh, who's got experience, reputation? That you know, uh, you know, he 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 can only improve. What you know, as they have, you know, Dragons have done quite well with bringing the old boys back and and giving them, you know, giving them enough game time to to make a contribution. So I don't, I, I don't have an issue with it, and I and the but having said that, the parochial thing. I, 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 uh, just reading this week about Gareth Davis, um, you know, um, uh, you know, wanted to be re-elected um, as uh, WIU chairman, and I, I just always, whenever I see him, I always just remind myself how parochial I was, at shouting at him, how rubbish he was throughout the. 1980s and and constantly you know not being able to sleep at nights why you know thinking why he was playing for Wales and not Malcolm Dacey or you always somebody from Swansea obviously or David Richards and I, I you just think sometimes you just get in that place in in your head and it's really hard to get out of it it's impossible to get out of it and I, I, the, I think you you're you've hit the nail on the head by saying that if people are having a pop at the Dragons, it's probably a good thing, instead of having the sympathy vote. Yeah, it's just an interesting one. And, and I think it's a bit of a reflection of this strange league that we're in. And 
you know, I've always taken the approach since regional rugby came into existence that, you know, if we're playing in a league where it's the Ospreys against Connacht, well, I have no allegiance to, to Connacht whatsoever, whereas at least, you know, a healthy yeah. Ospreys in theory would be a healthy Wales side. So I've always kind of been of that approach, um, which I don't know. I, I guess that's probably, uh, that's probably uncommon. I don't know. I don't know. Again, maybe it's maybe it's living outside Wales makes it makes it easier to do that. But certainly, if it was you know if it was back twenty years ago, but I've been sat there thinking you know I do you know what? I probably would if if Ebbervale were playing uh, were playing Newcastle in the Challenge Cup, I'd rather Ebbervale beat Newcastle than than the English side one. I don't know. That's that's always been my approach. But um, and likewise, I've never really I've never had a problem with Cardiff particularly. Never really had a problem. You know, like being you know being kind of Newport's biggest rivals it never really bothered me that um that Cardiff if Cardiff were doing well um because again I've, I've I've always quite enjoyed watching rugby down there and I don't know maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority I um I always just thought you know playing an English side the English side were always going to be a bigger villain than uh than a than a Welsh side doing well yeah absolutely the only you know there are times when it's really important you know, when, when there are local derbies and that's, yeah. that's, you know, traditionally that's always the case, but even, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the story I grew up with, you, which you've probably heard a million times is that thing about, you know, people from Slanesley sort of standing on top of hillsides cheering as Swansea burned in the second world war because they've been bombed. You know, I mean, it's just like an apocryphal story of nonsense. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And the same thing, you know, I, I grew up in, in going to school in Swansea Valley where there were, you know, Scarlet's fans and, and Neath fans and Swansea fans. Um, and, and, you know, smattering of Aberavon and other clubs as well. But the, the rivalry was only there for, you know, it's not, it's not Cardiff-Swansea in the football. Is it? No, I don't think it is, and I, and I always think as well. If you look back to those games where you'll see uh, you see um, stadiums in the seventies packed out, uh, you know, packed out. Uh, let's say you know it's it's Newport versus the Springboks or the All Blacks or whatever. I, I've I've no doubt there would have been there would have been people from you know from Evervale and from and from Pontypool have gone down there to watch it, and probably would rather see a Gwent side beat. Uh, be a, an international side from around from around the world. I, I don't definitely, know. definitely. I, 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 I would. Have I used to wear. I used to wear a. I used to wear Jeff Wales shirt to Wales internationals, and nobody ever gave me a, mm. ever gave me any stick about it at all. You know, and uh, there's nothing, nothing. It couldn't. I was wearing a white shirt. Let's remind ourselves. You know what I mean? It's like you're asking for it anyway. And, but, and, and there was always, you know, there, there was always that shrill call of, come on the whites, you know, mock, mock Pontypool sort of cries when Swansea ran out in, uh, and, you know, I've talked about this before, There's all, Swansea were always there to do a hiding whenever, just, but it was mockery. That's all it was. It wasn't anything like the, the level of, you know, I, I've been to Swan, I've been to, the vetch field to watch Wales play international matches and the opposition fans are going, why are the Welsh fans fighting each other? They were trying to take the North Bank. Cardiff were trying to take the North Bank of Swansea. I mean, 
there's nothing more parochial than than, than what was happening in Welsh football um, from the se- late seventies onwards when I was going. It's n- I've never seen anything like that in rugby. No, and I think that's the that's the interesting thing. And if we look at you know, like you said there, growing up you had uh, you're at school with with Swansea fans, Slaughty fans, Neath fans. The the thing is that we really need to focus on is kids growing up now. You know, you need you need to be worried about whether kids in kids in in Newport and Everville are going to grow up supporting the Dragons or they're going to grow up supporting Cardiff City or even or yeah maybe maybe the County or, or worse still they grow up supporting Barcelona or Paris Saint Germain or Messi or the, these concepts that are completely alien to me. That's yeah. the bat, the battle now is get kids excited about our game and and get them you know get them into the into the into those um into those regional grounds because we have had 20 close to 20 years of infighting about what was the right setup and what wasn't and you know what it doesn't matter now look at that that cardiff side is full of ponty breed boys and you know what Mm. i don't think i don't think they care that they're playing for a cardiff blue side because they want to go out and and that's that that's that that's the pathway right and i I don't know that ponty fans will probably you know will probably throw that right back at me but I just think that that's that's what we've got to deal with now. We've got, you know, I I'd, I would love to see a side, a, a professional side, um, that uh, that was representing the valleys, but it's not coming from anywhere anytime soon, is it? And so, you know, realistically, would I rather that those boys went on and and achieved great things and played for Wales rather than you know were were bitter about having to pull on a Cardiff jersey? Well, you know, yeah, of course I would. But, yeah, and a year ago we were talking about shedding one of the regions as it was yeah, so exactly. let's let's just let's just get realistic uh, um for me the most important things is not you know again going back to my osprey professional ospreys moaning you know we, the the squad the squad depth was sort of 52 players or something like that and all the regional clubs around that were supposed to be feeder clubs for the Ospreys were, had all kind of plunged, you know, uh, and got worse and worse and worse. And it felt to me like the Ospreys were not supporting the mm. Bridgens and the and the Swansea's and the Neiths. Um, and uh, for, there is a job to be done there, but you, oh, there you, you've you've absolutely you've absolutely crystallised it by saying if you got to get we got to get like 4,000 kids in, in, in grounds. It not, it cannot be, it's it, it, it just got to happen. Otherwise they're, they're, it's unsustainable, isn't it? It can't, it can't carry on just because of TV money. Yeah, it can't. Uh, no, it's, and, it, and it's not going to in Wales. Let's be honest, right? We're, we're dealing with, we're dealing with premier sports here. Um, the fact that CBC have come in and invested it, you know, as I say, I've said millions of times, is that, yeah, they're not here for the good of the game. But the fact that they are here means that they're, they're going to want some money to come into, into Pro 14. So they're going to be out there trying to do a good TV deal. But if, you know, if it doesn't work out, they'll quite happily shed this league and it's gone. And like I say, they're not a charity. They will, they'll leave it in ruins and it's gone any assets will be stripped and they're out and balls to the rest of it. So, you know, the, the job there is for the union and the regions themselves to make sure that they can create a, a sustainable, it's a horrible word, I know, but a sustainable model of, of rugby that, um, that, that, that does 
reach out to those to those clubs because you know, I, I don't think I don't really see that that pathway being uh, anymore being you know you play you play with Bridgend until you're 20 and then you're in the Ospreys side because I think you'll be in the Ospreys academy when you're 12 13 years old and but but it's so important that those other sides that are, that are the feeder clubs into the Ospreys are 100% part of the region because it will be that you pick up a ball at Bridgend or uh, you know or Neath or or wherever you know Astrid Gunlice wherever it is you pick up a you know you pick up a ball and that's where you fall in love with with rugby and if you go on to get picked up by the uh, by the Ospreys Academy or by the Scarlets Academy or whatever um I don't know it's it's so important so you shouldn't lose the history of it I just think that that financial model has not has not worked out right it's been neither one thing nor the other we have ended up with real realistically we ended up with four super clubs um you know rather than than i guess start from scratch regions but that's where we are and it's it's got to work now but you can't jettison those fantastic clubs that have contributed so much to to welsh rugby over the years and more importantly to the to the communities that they live in so it's it's uh it, it, you know we're not gonna have the answer to that now but that, that for me puts the whole kind of yeah you know are the dragons strengthening their squad thing into into perspective yeah, and it, it there will be there are the players are there. You know, the, these squads, like we just said, at the top of the program, the squads that look stronger and better than they have done, and more evenly balanced. And so, Roberts coming in is a good thing for the for the game in Wales. End of story. Really, it's it's a, it's a, it might be a, a point of a point of debate, yeah. but I think you you'd ha- you can't say that it's not a good there's not a good thing to have somebody with that experience back in the game in Wales. And, well, and you know, the the guy is is the is the you know the consummate professional off the field. You know, uh, I I just fail to see how you know the the particularly the young centres at the Dragons wouldn't sit there and listen listen to what Jamie, when Jamie Roberts speaks. They're going to want to know what he's got to say. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just convinced of that. And. Uh, do you think they'll? Do you think that it's all going to gel quite nicely when they come back, or are you? Are you like me? Are you kind of slightly nervous about it? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm certain. I'm certainly nervous about it. I, I'm the main thing I'm nervous about is that there's a degree of expectation around the dragons, but that's something they're going to have to deal with. And do I think it will gel? Potentially not straight away. I'm not sure it's gonna it's gonna work straight, but I think that's more the fact that we're dealing with really weird times because normally you'd have a preseason, you'd be playing together, you'd be training together, you would uh, you would have gone out and had a, an extensive preseason to get the get the the ring rustiness out of there, and all of that has been curtailed this time round. So that I think is going to be a bit of a problem when it comes to to things clicking. But that's the same that's the same for all sides. Which means that maybe maybe there is an opportunity to go out there and catch you know catch the Ospreys on the on the hop or whatever. We've seen that in other sports. We've seen it in in the football and the cricket. Strange things have happened because it's a strange it's a strange scenario to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Right, we're going to talk more about the Pro 14. Uh, we're actually going to talk about the Lions in the second half, but don't worry, it's all relevant news. Uh, we're also going to talk about the uh, the retirement of Nick Williams. Uh, so there's plenty more to come. But first, we're going to have this very quick break.
mentioned there just before the break, Justin, that we were going to talk about the Lions and I promised it would be relevant news and it is. We're not going to get dragged down to the uh, <laughs> dragged down to the selecting your Lions Test 15 stuff just yet. Uh, we'll wait a good week or two for that. Uh, but a bit of a strange story I've seen this week and that's kind of seems to be around Gatlin's coaching side. So uh, you had Wales Online reporting that Sean Edwards has has ruled himself out and he's concentrating on France. And then BBC Wales was saying that uh, that Andy Farrell has said he's not expecting the call anytime soon. It just feels a bit funny, almost like Edwards Edwards rules himself out and Farrell's kind of playing a little bit uh, playing a little bit hard to get. Uh, do you see anything other than Andy Farrell getting a gig on uh, on Warren Gatlin's coaching side? Well, it seems it, it seemed like a natural thing mm. to happen. Um, I don't know whether it's like I'm on a different pay grade now, Warren. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to actually try a bit harder. Uh, I don't know whether that because they they obviously they've worked together before. They claim to be quite matey, so I don't know. But it, um, and maybe there's some. Could there be some uh, Irish rugby union? sort of uh, dynamic to this as well because they're not predisposed to being <laughs> um particularly friendly towards Gatland I don't I, it feels like there's this, there is something really interesting happening going behind closed doors and I'm not entirely sure we'll ever find out what it is I wouldn't be surprised if there was one or two uh staffed suits at the Irish Rugby Union who weren't massively wouldn't wouldn't be massively keen on releasing their head coach but I think more to the point it's probably a question of there's going to be so much rugby to be played and he's an inexperienced head coach at international level. He's going to have a hell of a lot of things to concentrate on himself uh, without taking on uh, without taking on a Lions coaching role too. So if you were on the uh, the IRFU board, you'd, you'd be a bit concerned about that because he's going to have a hell of a workload as it is. Yeah, it's going to be... I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be... It's going to be a little soap opera behind closed doors, it feels to me. And Gatland has his uh, has worries of his own, really, because the return to the Chiefs has not been what he would have wanted or probably expected. And it does just make life a bit trickier for him because he's, you know, he is juggling two roles here. And albeit a shorter season because of COVID, he's still, uh, you know, he's still been, they've still been playing rugby for the last seven or eight weeks. And he's got he's got a full time role there to to kind of juggle. It, it's certainly not what he would have wanted to have happened, but I don't know. I get the feeling that's not going to be a distraction when it comes to when it comes to Springboks because he's he's coached Wales sides that have uh, that have been faltering by the time he's gone to go on the Lions tour anyway. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be as much of a distraction as perhaps it would for for Andy Farrell, who is at uh, you know a key point in his. Uh, in his kind of early years of coaching at, uh, at an international level, is there an, is there nothing that says to you that it's just one one tour too far for Gatland? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I think I, that's what that's the other potential thing is he might think he wants to freshen his his coaching team up a little bit because he's largely had the same the same guys around him. You know, Farrell has been there for what, 13 and 17. And that, I think, is... I don't know. That, that's the one that I could see happening again. 
you know, obviously he's had Howley during that time as well. And Howley was there in, in 09. And that's probably the one area I could see it freshening up because I think Rob Howley, you know, he's made, he's made abundantly clear he wants to return to, to rugby. And I think someone will, will look to bring Howley on board, if I'm honest. I think that, you know, he's, he's been through a very tough personal time and made mistakes off the pitch that he, you know, he will clearly have regretted and he should never have done. But you can't say fairer than, than kind of taking ownership of your, um, of your addiction because that's what it is, gambling. You know, you, it, it's, easy to, it's easy to look at it and people say, oh, you know, what a prat and stuff like that. It's when you're in that much of a hole, you are, you are severely addicted to, to carry out those actions. It doesn't make it right, but it means that you're, um, it means you're in a, such a predicament that you, you have, uh, you know, you've made incredibly bad judgment. It's cost him his job. He's gone away. He's got therapy and is, and is working, working his way through those demons and wants to come back to rugby as a coach. I don't think that throwing himself into the Lions spotlight would be particularly good for him or, uh, or the squad or Gatland really. It'd be interesting that yeah, you, you know you have to see you have to serve your term and then see mm. what's happening. I wonder whether you know the sort of Gregor Townsend's sort of uh, star is not the in, in the ascendant, and I don't know whether someone like I would uh, would like some <laughs> random like would Dai Young be a candidate to go with the forwards or would Richard Cock or Richard Cockrell or I don't know I, I don't know I don't know I mean I'm I'm always I'm always open to left field selections when it comes to and and actually I I think what's great this time around is Gatland is not involved with the Wales team so yeah. that is you know that is one less thing um, it probably would have been a lot better if he'd had some good results as as the head coach of the Chiefs because that would have taken a bit of pressure off because the one place in the world that will have as much scrutiny as as uh, as rugby in Wales is in New Zealand so that probably that probably hasn't helped but I've always thought it's better to have someone who doesn't necessarily coach one of the unions from a selection point of view I know he's you know he coached Wales for 12 years and if he does select a load of players uh, people say you know he's been biased but he's got no reason to be biased now He's not a man who lets emotion get in the way of making a call. Ask Brian O'Driscoll, Martin Williams, you know, yeah. uh, Jamie Roberts, any of these players, uh, Adam Jones, Richard Hibbard. The minute he thinks you can't cut it, you're gone. And it's, yeah. you know, and, and some of those calls may have been very, very harsh in the past, but that's, that's what makes me think that, that he will do a good job again is at international level, selection is absolutely crucial. And I think he gets that right more often than not. And it's no nowhere is it more crucial than on a Lions tour. No, I agree. Yeah, I think the back the backroom boys would be interesting. I just mm. think that it would be yeah, it gives him the opportunity to do something completely new if he wants to. I tell you something that is good news for them, and this is off the pitch, and that's I can't remember if it's this week or the week before, but they announced a, a sponsorship deal with Vodafone, which is supposed to be in the region yeah. of five or six million, which again is uh, you know, I think it's roundabout on a par with what what happened last time round. But given what's happened to the to the sponsorship market since then, and also COVID, I think that's a really good encouraging deal for them to do. And the fact it's it's kind of a mass consumer brand. Sorry to get all horribly markety, but you know, it, it's not standard chartered or whatever the hell it was last time round. You know, some uh, you know something that only point zero zero one percent of the of the country would ever have any interest in um 
but it is something that people can use and buy. And I think that in a way, it's another way of promoting the Lions is, is by actually using the sponsor. Cause I, God knows how, you know, there must be what, I don't know, 10 million uh, Vodafone users throughout the country. So that, that is another way of actually, of actually kind of spreading the word and, and keeping Lions front of mind. So I think that's something that's potentially really encouraging for them. And I, I think they'll be really pleased with that. Uh, it's, uh, there's def- yeah, it was standard life, wasn't it? I think standard life last time. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's one of those. I think that's that's generally um, that generally will be a weight off the mind of uh, of, of the lion CEO and something that he, you know that he uh, won't have to worry about. So uh, yeah, that's certainly good news. Um, and we also mentioned before the break, moving on to. To different topics that Nick Williams, Cardiff Blues stalwart, obviously, uh, actually one of very few Pro 14 stalwarts, isn't he? Because he's done um, he's done his time at a number of clubs, obviously playing in Ireland and played for Eroni in Italy as well. So he's a player we've seen loads of over the years, and obviously age wasn't wasn't on his side, particularly the way he plays. But still, a big blow to lose him, and uh, will leave a big hole in in that Cardiff Blues squad. It's an amazing player, and you know, even last year when there was a traditional kind of, they should have had those, you know, those drinks breaks they've been having for um, football. It's like uh, it's like he was having at least two or three of those every game, but he was he's a just you know, an incredibly talented player. Uh, obviously, thund, all thunder, but uh, with great hands, and it was just a, it's just. Whenever you saw him play, you just thought, okay, this is going to be fun. It's just always, you know, sardonic smiling, sarcasm, banter with the ref, you know, the whole thing, always, never, you know, he was just an amazing servant, really, just a real personality, probably, you know, one of those rare um, rugby players that would probably actually draw people to go to a game on the basis of his attendance you know the basis of him being in the team yeah a a real I mean such a busy player even at even at his uh, in the latter stages of his career it wasn't just okay I'm going to go out and I'm going to play for 50 minutes and I've you know a few big tackles and a few big collisions yeah over the ball incredible for a man of that size to be so good I know once he's on you know you're going to struggle to shift him, but the balance to get in the right position without giving away penalties takes some doing. And as you said, the hands, you know, a real exciting player to watch. And I think it's safe to say off the field, he'll leave a big hole in the dressing room too. So, you know, a, um, you know, uh, probably a, a loss that Cardiff Blues were expecting sooner rather than later, uh, but certainly someone who's, who's given a, a huge amount of joy to, uh, to their fans in particular. Is there any sense of what he's going to do now? I, I think I saw him to be somewhere this week that said he's keen to stay within rugby uh, in some kind of coaching capacity or something like that. And, and and as always with a you know with a quality player, you you want to see them stay within the game. You know, obviously you had Gethin Jenkins and, and Matthew Reese from within the same manner last year, uh, moving from moving from playing into coaching. And they were two players that I just thought, God, they're such canny operators. You don't want to lose what they bring to the party. And, you know, if they're able to help the next generation of players, that would that would be a huge, uh, a huge help. And you kind of feel the same with with Nick Williams. You just think there's got there's got to be somewhere that would be a 
that would really benefit from from working with a with a character like that and you just think if you're able to carry on playing till that point in your career you've obviously looked after yourself stayed in good nick and for want of a you know, if you'll excuse the pun um so I, I don't know the temptation is always say i think he'd make a great coach but if that's what he wants to do I, i'm sure someone would be would be keen to uh would be keen to bring him on board particularly the connections he would have made over the years i'm sure there'll be a an old coach or two or an old pal who's keen to to bring him as part of their coaching staff yeah i mean it's it, it's a it's a whole as in he's an enormous personality but it doesn't it doesn't sort of weaken the blues terribly does it because the, you know back row is an area of of strength for them i think so, in particular a big ball carrying eight they were kind of preparing for this when they uh, when they signed sam moore so yeah. I, I think that will be his you know will be his role when they're able to play him obviously they've got navidi to come back who is you know just just gets better and better and better and he uh, was missing for large chunks of last season and just look at club level looks equally as comfortable at eight as he does at seven or six yeah and um and that's that that is saying something because it's such a different role and yeah he, he is just a magnificent player so they're they're two fabulous options at eight so you know I, I think you're right while it is a big hole in terms of in terms of the dressing room the back row is one of the areas where they have they've been uh, very very strong and some great young talent there coming through as well you know um, the, the likes of Jim Botham and um God, I always get his name wrong. Shane Lewis Hughes, I want to Shane say. Shane Lewis, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he's getting really, really fantastic prospects alongside the, the Jenkinses and Robinsons and, and Navidis and so on. So, yeah, they, uh, they're in, they're in, they've, got, they've got some really good options within, uh, within their ranks. As, um, we're both in agreement as long as they don't shove Seb Davis there, uh, which uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm very much in agreement with that. And it seemed like that was driven very much by the national side. I think that was Gatland's brainchild, really. Yeah, um, to play him at eight, and he, he's a brilliant athlete. But at his stage, I, I think you need to be concentrating on one uh, on one position. You know, much like Alan Wynne Jones used to do a, a bit at six, which seems mad. Uh, now doesn't it you know to think he was ever playing on the flank and uh, he you know he, obviously I'm not saying he's going on to be Alan Jones but I think if you for what it's worth my opinion is that his best position is in the second row yeah. and he will be a, a great athletic ball playing second row and if you've got some good grunts alongside him I think he's got I think he's got lots more to give him and Adam Beard I think find themselves in similar situations in terms of their rugby development that they've both kind of been thrust into the national setup at a pretty young, uh, you know, young in terms of experience, age, and it's a hard, hard position at international level. That I think you know you've you've now got to kick on and, and show you you're able to do it consistently. So um, yeah. I think both of those players have you know, got bright futures ahead of them. And then you got you still got Will Boyd and Ellis Jenkins. Yeah. You know, you got it's just like mad. It's mad, isn't it? I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about Will Boyd, and yeah, what. A, yeah, what a great signing he's been for them. He's yeah, just yeah, Mr. Dependable, a brilliant club. I, I I think he's I think he's in national class. To be honest, I'm I'm yeah. surprised he hasn't had a a cap at some stage. It is testament to how many fantastic Welsh back rowers there are. But he's he's he'd be certainly good enough to pull on a red jersey. And Josh Turnbull. Yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah, and Tur- Turnbull, I, th- I think, has done such a good job in the row. Um, that yeah, 
you know, he's, and I think as, as you know, age starts to creep up with him, um, yeah. I think second row is, is probably where you'll see the bulk of him playing now. I think yeah. he's more a second row than he is a back row forward. But again, a great option to have. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Right. Well, look, there is a couple of things we need to, we need to finish up on. And the first of these is uh, a moment of genius from my wife who said, when I said I was doing the pod with Yestin today, she said, oh, you should have a feature called Yestin Years. Like, like yesteryears but yesteryears I was like that's absolutely brilliant now much like Alan Partridge I'm kind of like well it's just a name at the moment we don't, we don't know what it is so if anyone has got any ideas about what to do with this fantastic title I'd love to know because it feels like you know you love to take a walk down memory lane as much what are you as saying what are you saying Jed I, I just because I'm comfortably about 20 years older than any other contributor is probably what you're saying isn't it I'm not saying that I'm saying that I'm saying that you uh You'd like, no, I, to, you'd like to have a stroll down a down, ramble yeah a yeah, ramble that's true. A, a little a little pedal on your bike down uh down memory lane yeah. and uh i don't know I, there's got to be something in this so if any listeners have got any ideas with what we could uh, with what we could do either sensible or not sensible uh, i would uh, i would love to hear them because uh, it just feels like uh it feels like that's that's too good an opportunity to miss um, anything with my name in it is a, is a, is a good start because obviously living in the southeast of England, where most people still call me Lestin, um, even on a, even colleagues I've worked with for four years, uh, yeah, uh, you know, anything that can extend the brand <laughs> is good with me. I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to when we start manufacturing T-shirts with hashtag yesteryears on it yeah and, uh, and uh, yeah you know your kind of catch your catchphrases i think things like that that's that's when you know we've made it yeah with yes hashtag yesteryears on the front and 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 things like uh, on the wrong side of the lucker estuary on the back that's what i'm really looking forward to yeah okay i'm I, i'll get i'll get designing immediately <laughs> and we can have them you know we can have them in swansea colors and things like that and people are going mad for them yeah Definitely. <laughs> well, that fit, that feels like the perfect place to uh, to bring this week's uh, this week's ramble to an end. Yes, Dean, thank you once again for joining us. It's always uh, always a pleasure to catch up, and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing plenty of it as we finish this season and go into the new season. I'm not even sure when it when it begins. Oh, actually, that is one thing we haven't mentioned though is uh, the rescheduled Six Nations fixtures. So you oh, know yeah. that they're going to be played in uh, they're going to be played in October which is uh, something for us all to look forward to. But there's still a big TBC next to, uh, next to the Wales-Scotland fixture as to where it's going to be played. Uh, do you have any thoughts or preference when it comes to this? I've got my tickets on the wall. And, uh, um, and uh, uh, I know that um, sort of regular tickets don't, but i um, fortunate enough my father bought the benches in 1969 for 50 quid. Obviously, this is considerably more expensive now, um, but uh, I don't think I'm going to go. Actually, anyway, I just got this feeling. I'm I'm still a bit uncomfortable about mm. kind of the idea of uh, of kind of like uh, crowds and that. Um, but uh, I I don't have any issue with with playing them in at Twickenham or Wembley. It. it I can't again. Maybe I've just I've gone PR bonkers today, haven't I? But I'm just thinking, what a bad look it would be. It's like, sorry, lads, we've got to like close the hospital down because yeah. we got a rugby match. Is that all right? 
you know, it just doesn't look good, does it? Um, there's, there's just too much uncertainty around, you know, uh, around those things because, you know, even let's say if the hospital wasn't needed, um, let's say we go into local lockdown and that fixture, that fixture is then nobbled um, or has to be played behind closed doors. Uh, you just can't, you can't afford to take that risk given the, the financial hole uh, that the union are in, or certainly the short-term financial hole that the union are in. I know people are going to throw, well, they just signed Jamie Roberts for the Dragons at me, but it's... Um, you it's know, not quite the same as the price tags are marginally different, aren't they? They are, they are marginally different. And, you know, obviously, the, you know, I don't, let's not go back into that rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> you, you've just got to... Um, You've just got to, you just got to make them the most sensible call now. Um, I understand that it's you know having a home game at Twickenham feels pretty weird, um, but if it's the right call, it's going to be for a short period of time, and and we'll all forget about it pretty soon after. Wembley might be a, a viable option. Um, I think obviously we've got the history of playing at Wembley before, and. Uh, there's no you know there's not that same uh, that same level of discomfort when it comes to playing at the home of the English football team rather than uh, rather than the rugby one because uh, I think the other the other options in London just aren't aren't going to be too viable Tottenham and West Ham you know will be more bothered about their own fixtures so I think that might be that might be too difficult and and just playing it elsewhere in Wales you know even if we are able to play stuff in front of the crowds it's going to be limited capacity so you've got to give yourself a big old stadium to get as much money in as you can um and you know, you see again. I, I see sometimes this this Facebook group that that I set up uh, two years ago. Um, you know, there's just all kinds of madness on at the moment. That people say, "Oh, W, you're just thinking about money." I was like, "Well, yes, because the game doesn't run on thin air." You know, those players like to be paid to play rugby. Um, it's it's a pretty, been a professional game for 25 years. Likewise, the regions need uh, need subsidising from the union in order to. Um, in order to exist and you know even the community game relies on handouts from uh from the union so let's do everything we can to make sure that they can bring this money in and i'm not you know i'm not on the union payroll here i'm not here to do a pr job for them and tub thump but if they're um you know if it's we need money coming into coming into that union so that we're uh, as best protected against uh, against whatever might happen uh, in the next few uncertain years and uh, and that goes that goes from uh, every level of uh, every level of Welsh rugby. So I think we just we just got to get them played wherever we can we can bring the most money in. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's an unemotional. Uh, it's it, the whole thing seems fairly unemotional. And if you look at the cricket, for instance, you, mm. the, the, the 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 initial obviously they're behind closed doors completely. But it, you know it would have appeared that these thing these events were put on you know for for certain reasons you know again primarily to to address uh kind of response you know responsibilities to broadcasters and things mm. like that but they still managed to well they were very interesting <laughs> really interesting so far uh, it's been fascinating um so there's the arguments about where the venue is pl played is still secondary to what's going to happen on the pitch and that's the stuff that really is the most interesting aspect because we're talking about talking about an underperforming national team and we want them to do well so you know it'll be it, we want them to play we want them to play 
you know, uh, to the best of their abilities. And uh, I don't, I really, I, I just, the, the whole debacle about the initial postponement of the Scotland match was the lowest point in, fortunately, in a, a you know, in a, a period where the Assembly government then sort of pulled its finger out and started acting with a bit more decisive uh, action. So, and, and has been internationally recognised for doing so. So you just got to go with, you've got to go with it. You know, you can't, you can't be complaining too much. I think we've, we've got to be pragmatic. Yeah, and, and you know what, I think the other thing is that of all the people getting worked up about it, I don't think the players will be at all, you know, whether they play it in Twickenham or Wembley or wherever, you just treat it like a World Cup match and you say, right, okay, it's a bit of an odd scenario, but we, you know, we'll treat this as our, as our base for, uh, for the two weeks around training or whatever it might be, and we'll go out there and play the game like the professionals that we are. And, I, you know, I don't think Justin Tipperick or Alan Wynne-Jones or... Uh, or Lee Harpenny will be particularly phased by going out and playing at Twickenham or Wembley or wherever it is. It just doesn't strike me as uh, a, an international weekend, as in Cardiff, just doesn't seem like anything that's on the horizon. Too much, soon. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the, the only pragmatic thing that you could say is, um, you know, is, is it wise to have potentially 30,000, 40,000 uh welsh men and women traveling from wales into england particularly london and then back again um but as you say i think that's that's probably a decision that's 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 made by um that's made by welsh government rather than uh rather than the the governing bodies of the sport yeah absolutely well there we go we we managed to finish on a a sensible um a sensible point but uh, yeah if you have got any suggestions for yes in years which uh, i expect will be less than sensible then please let us know uh but yeah yes and thanks for joining us been uh, been great fun as always and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very very soon Podcast Network.